And I know I just said good morning, but good morning again. I was very blessed by the work that uh, Wendy put in this morning. She did a Seder with the Sunday school class, and I've never been a part of a Seder in my life. Um, it was fun. It was very good. It was educational. I got to see what goes into it, what all the things represent. It's very good. This morning, it is Palm Sunday, as I'm sure you're well aware, which means two things exactly. Um, that this is the day where the triumphal entry took place, and we can celebrate that. It's also the Spartansburg Community Service tonight, so if you're free to show up for that, that will be at the Methodist Church downtown here by the Family Dollar. All right, so I am going to be doing the uh, triumphal entry, the the verses, the account I'm using is from Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her, her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the full of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them and, uh, for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the ground. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. As Jesus is coming in to Jerusalem right before the Passover, this is just such an interesting way for the American mind to see someone being greeted, isn't it? To, to have someone riding in on a donkey and have people putting palm branches down on the road and to be putting their cloaks down on the ground for the donkey to walk across. Those of us who spend time around hooven-footed animals know those aren't the cleanest things. So to put your cloaks down and to have a donkey walk across them, it must mean that the person riding the donkey is pretty uh, pretty important. In fact, I believe that's something that you would do when a king was walking by or was riding by. Were a king to be riding by, you would spread your cloak on the ground so that there, they wouldn't get any of that road dust. I've heard many explanations of these accounts, but I'm going to try not to go too wildly off on any tangents which is difficult for me to begin with. But you see in verse 5, 
Say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's from Zechariah 9.9. That's quoting back. They're fulfilling a prophecy. If a king was going out to war, if a king was showing his strength, he wouldn't ride a donkey, he would ride a horse. At least to the best of my understanding. A king going to war would be on a horse. He'd be on a big, powerful animal. He'd be on a horse. If if someone is coming in peace, they would be riding on a donkey. At least that's what I pull from this. Jesus comes riding on a donkey. They lay down palm branches, which in the ancient world, palm trees, the palms meant victory, where they could mean peace, typically victory. And I feel that way because of what the people are yet shouting after him, which is Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A lot of times we assume that Hosanna means blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is not what Hosanna means. Hosanna, Hosanna means save us. The crowd is shouting, save us. And they're putting down palm branches. Save us. Son of David, save us. They are recognizing that he is the Messiah. Unfortunately, because we're so human, much like the crowds, they're looking for someone to save them from Rome. They're looking for a savior. They're looking for something political. This save us, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is also what they shouted after Judas Maccabee when he was victorious in a military battle or actually an entire military campaign, which led to about the only time Israel was ever free in history. (laughs) People don't seem to understand who Jesus is, but they know who he is. They don't understand the implications of what it means to be the Messiah. But it's at this moment when you have full crowds of people understanding that he is, in fact, the Messiah. I think it's uh, I think it's worth noting that Jesus enters Jerusalem with this whole crowd of people like, who's this guy? And they say, it's Jesus. He's the prophet from Nazareth. I, as someone who recently started owning animals, I'm still taken back by the idea that these guys went and took somebody's donkey. And they said, if anyone asks, just say the Lord needs it. Uh, There's a lot of farmers here this morning. And that seems like God would almost have to intervene with you being okay with someone walking away with your livestock just by saying, oh, God needs it. The Lord needs it. Just by gentle sign. Uh, Any farmers in here would accept that as an answer if someone was taking one of your cows or your horse or your donkey or your sheep or whatever. 
Are there any farmers in here that would accept that explanation? It was the truth, though. And I find it interesting that Jesus knows that that is going to be enough. He also knows that the donkey's going to be there. No, I'm doing way more silence than usual. I'm trying to slow down. Is it working? <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. Jesus is again, and because I'm writing from Matthew, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and he is constantly showing that Jesus is fulfilling the prophecies. This prophecy that was made way back in Zechariah about the king coming gentle and riding on a donkey, it's fulfilled in this. And Matthew makes it a point to point that out because Matthew is constantly pointing out to his Jewish audience that these prophecies are being fulfilled through Jesus. Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. And it shows it very clearly in this passage and as well as in Mark and in John, they also show it very clearly. And it was actually very difficult to decide which account to use. Although I do feel, and this is one of the only times I feel that Mark's account is really full. Because Mark usually just gives vague details, kind of. He just gives details and he's done. It's one of the only accounts I feel like Mark has as much detail as anyone else. But I am reading from Matthew, so uh, again, that was probably at least partially a bunny I was chasing there. What does it mean for Jesus to be going into Jerusalem and to be recognized as the Messiah, though? You've got people that have been waiting for a Messiah for who knows how long. Everyone is waiting for a Messiah. Everyone is oppressed and depressed, and they're waiting for a Messiah. And then the Messiah shows up. What does that feel like? What does that look like? I mean, you've got entire crowds of people treating him as a king. On a borrowed donkey. And this is another example of that upside down kingdom that people write about. How Jesus is everything you didn't expect. And so much better than anything you wanted. Jesus is riding into town on a king, as a king on a borrowed donkey. With crowds just shouting after him, save us. He didn't march in with an army. And they're still shouting, save us. It seems strange, doesn't it? For a leader without an army to be gathering this much attention from people that want salvation from their depressed situation. Seems very odd to me, but that was what came to their hearts and to their minds, I suppose, was save us. They aren't looking at Jesus the way we look at Jesus now. We're looking at him on the other side of the cross. We see things differently than this crowd of people, I tend to believe. And you can argue with that. I will let you argue with that. I could be wrong, but I tend to feel that we see things far differently on this side of the cross. 
looking back, we can see the, the promises and the, and the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And we can see Jesus came to save us from our sins. Our Messiah came to save us in that way. Most of the people, I believe all of the people who were looking for a Messiah, were looking for someone to save them physically from Rome. So for them to come out and yell, save us, to a man without an army, on a donkey, lets you know that, that Jesus' presence must have stirred something within them where they understood that he was the one who could save them. He was the one they were waiting for. It's almost irrational. Not unlike anyone recognizing Jesus, who Jesus really is. Coming to faith in Christ always has a sense that almost seems irrational, but it's the most rational thing you could ever do. I don't understand why God loves us. I don't understand why Jesus chooses to save us. I do not understand. Jesus was not lonely. That is not why we exist. God was not lonely. He didn't create us out of his lack. I don't need to understand why. Because in all reality, it's none of my business. It would change nothing. There are so many things we will never understand. There are so many other questions I wouldn't even know to ask to find out how much I truly don't understand. But I do know God is not afraid of our questions. But I can look at this account and I can see myself in that crowd. And if you will follow me here, I don't understand. I don't understand what's going to happen. I don't understand how it's going to happen. But I do know that I see Jesus. And I do know that he can save me. And I can trust in the ability of Christ to save me. I recognize that he should be treated as a king in my life. This is what I can learn from this crowd. And I've already warned you, I have a tendency to tie things up into sweet little moralistic bundles. But it doesn't make it false. I have the ability to see Jesus, the Prince of Peace, gentle and riding on a donkey, and understand that that is my Savior. That is my King. And how do I show that? Well, we don't have palm trees here because our weather is grotesque. So we're not going to lay down palm trees, but I can lay down my life. I can lay down everything I am. All this fancy whatever that makes me who I am, I can lay that down before Jesus. I can do that. You can do that. Finding a palm tree, not so easy. If any of our friends are watching from Florida, I know they have them. I know they have them. I also thought it was interesting. I found out this week that for a palm tree to grow, 
to the point where it starts having the uh, boughs, the actual branches, takes about 30 years. I think that's kind of neat that around the time Christ was born on this earth, that tree would have started growing, that they cut the branches off and laid at Jesus' feet, at the feet of his donkey. Because it takes about 30 years for a palm tree to mature to the point where you can cut the boughs off it. That's pretty neat. Does that have deep spiritual meaning? No, maybe. I don't know. But it's neat. And I want to share that with you. I think that's really neat. I think, I think when we look at the account of Jesus during Holy Week, which this is what we're calling it, I know, from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, and all the things that transpire, it's amazing what a difference a week can make in the hearts and minds of people, isn't it? Because on Palm Sunday, everybody is ready to give Jesus a crown and to follow him into battle and to do something. By the very next Sunday, they're all ready to crucify him. What changes in a week? And I would honestly say, I think part of it is they were disappointed. And when someone disappoints you, how do you behave towards them? A lot of times when people disappoint us, it's because our expectations were wrong. They didn't actually do anything wrong. If you're waiting for a military leader to come and save you and he keeps telling you to turn the other cheek and to carry a load two miles if someone makes you carry it one, your expectations have not been met. Also, if your trusted religious leaders suddenly turn on a certain person, it's going to be very easy to turn on them as well. If a high priest suddenly thinks your, your Messiah is not the Messiah, but a blasphemer, it's going to be hard to argue with the guy that's always been in charge, I think. But I'm getting ahead of myself in this week. But that's the first thing I think of when I read this, is how is it that in one week, People go from wanting to crown him king to wanting to kill him. One week. They don't even have the internet. This, there's no Facebook arguments or anything. I've seen those transpire very quickly. Not to get too off on pop culture, but I'm sure I'm not the only one where you Post something stupid. They're memes. They're dumb. They do not change the world. Sometimes I find them inspiring. Post some little thing up. Before I know it, I have a heated political debate going on in a thread with people calling each other names. So I can see how in the modern world people can get to that phase very quickly, but I don't know how during face-to-face -face communication and things like that, you can still get so heated. But again, people are people and they've always been people. They do peopley things. I should not expect more out of ancient people than I can expect for myself, should I? 
The really sobering part is, is trying to figure out where I would be in this crowd of people. We like to see ourselves as a, the disciples. Would you have been chosen as one of the twelve? Would you have more likely been one of the disciples that had a moment of doubt and walked away when Jesus started speaking about consuming his flesh? Because a huge crowd of people walked away at that moment. I think we can assume some of them came back, though, because we're sitting here. Sometimes Jesus' teachings got a little too heavy. Where would we fall, actually, in this crowd of people? One of the most prolific Christians that ever lived was one of the guys watching the coats while they stoned Stephen to death. Are you closer to God than Saul? Do you understand Scripture better than Saul, Paul? Do, do we? Peter denied he even knew Jesus when a little pressure was on. Am I a better Christian than Peter? Jesus' own brothers didn't believe he was the Messiah until after he resurrected. Do we know Jesus better than his brothers? It can be very sobering when you're honest with yourself reading Scripture. And the most comforting part after you have these humbling realizations is understanding that it has nothing to do with us. It's all about Jesus. Because Jesus had those misfits when he was walking around physically. These misfits still ended up being the church. And we misfits get to join that. I don't believe we're any better or worse than the people that live then. I believe that people are people. And Jesus came to save those people. Another thing worth mentioning about in verse 9 when they say, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are quoting from Psalm 118 in a manner of speaking. Verse 25 in Psalm 118. Lord, save us. Grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. We can look at to God to save us. We can look to Jesus to save us. Our expectations of what that looks like may be different. What I can tell you, what I do know, is Jesus will forgive your sins. Jesus will call you his friend. Jesus will call you a brother or a sister. What could be more important than that? That's the part I can tell you is true all the time. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, and they never meet. That is always true. That's the important part. That's what I can tell you with certainty. If you believe anything 
too specific about what it means to be a Christian, what God is going to do for you as a Christian. What are you looking for exactly? I think if I hear another sermon about how Jesus wants to bless me financially, I'm going to vomit. And I mean it. But that isn't because Jesus hasn't blessed me financially. Jesus has blessed me financially. He's met my knees. My cup runneth over. And I think the most disrespectful thing I could do from that blessing is go buy a Cadillac. When 20,000 people starve to death every single day, if I'm driving a Cadillac, I missed it. I missed it. That isn't because Cadillacs are demonic. They're a great automobile. They honestly are. I'm not going to judge you for driving a nice car. But I am going to say, I'm going to judge me if I buy a nice car. Not that my Forester isn't nice. It's very nice. I recommend them. I've been overabundantly pleased with the Subaru manufacturing. Does it matter? No. Not a bit. Some people feel like Jesus will always heal you physically or you have a lack of faith. I would like to rebuke that theology in Jesus' name. We all get to go home and we all die from something. We all get to go home. Don't you keep me here. My body's breaking down at 41. I don't want to know what 120 feels like. I don't. Don't you make me. We all get to go home. Does Jesus heal us? Yes, he does. Does it look like what we think it will? Well, no, not always. Sometimes it does. I believe in miracles. I feel I've seen miracles. I've seen Jesus heal people. Do I expect him to do it out of obligation? Well, no. No, I don't. Is it because Jesus can't? Well, no, of course Jesus can heal anyone he desires. If it's part of his perfect will, then yes, Jesus will heal them. Will I pray for it anyway? You betcha. I'll pray for it anyway. And I have faith he can do it. I'm not going to stand up haughtily and demand that he heal somebody because guess what? I'm not God. I should be the one putting the palm branches in front of the donkey Screaming, save me, not the one saying, you have to do it, God. No, he doesn't. He does not have to do it. Saving us looks different than we think it does sometimes. Can Jesus save us from ourselves? Absolutely. Can Jesus save us from the clutches of sin? Absolutely. He does that. Praise God, he does that. Everything else, minor details. On a timeline that shows eternity, which is impossible to begin with, so. And a timeline that even shows a million years. Let's work with a million years. How large is your lifespan on a timeline of a million years? Not eternity, but a million years. Now understand that God has a plan for that entire timeline. And for whatever reason, he loves us in our finiteness. I don't know what my 
hopes and dreams are going to do to that timeline. God does. God understands what's going on in a way I never will. And it isn't because he doesn't love me. It's because he loves the world. For God so loved the whole wide world. I don't get to get my way every single time because what I want is usually pretty stupid. Thank God for unanswered prayers. It's a cheesy song, but I'm serious. Thank God for unanswered prayers. What a mess our lives would be if God answered every prayer we prayed. What a mess. Think about it. Look back to your high school relationships. You'd be married to that crazy person right now. Think about it. That's one example. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Think about all those silly times when you were a kid, you prayed to win the lottery or something like that. What a mess. What a mess. Nothing would be good. Nothing would be good. All those silly prayers. And coming to the realization later in life that sometimes the answer is no. Just no. God was never, God was never a genie in a land turn that you just say, God, I need this. And I know I said it a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to say it again. God is not going to ask your opinion. And not to call out any heretics, but Jesse Duplantis will tell you that God asked his opinion. He didn't. That's a lie. I'll stand on that. That's the only name I'm going to drop today, though. But that is damaging information. Do not believe someone when they say God asked their opinion. That's demonic. God does not ask our opinions. Does God give us choices? Of course he does. Does God give us the free will to make our own decisions? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Thankfully, God does that. Is God going to ask our opinion? I'll stand on that. No. No, he's not. Any more than you're going to ask the opinion of a four-year-old when making a major life decision. You're not going to do it because you're not stupid. God's not going to ask our opinion because he is not stupid. He is greater than us. He comprehends all things. He doesn't need our opinion. He doesn't even need our company. He just so happens to love us. Do I understand why? No. I'll never understand why. But I'm so thankful. I am so thankful. So this Palm Sunday, at some point today, I would like you to take some quiet time by yourself in between all of the things that you have to do today, which I'm sure you have them. I'd like you to figure out what that means to you, that phrase, save me. Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'd like you to personalize that phrase in your own head. You don't have to tell me. Please don't tell me. I want you to think about it. When you're crying out for salvation from God, what does that mean? What does it mean? What is it you're hoping for God to do? 
Because I've already told you what I know God will do. Based on scripture, he will forgive your sins. He will give you purpose and hope to carry on. One day we get to go home. We get to go to heaven. And I'm going. And don't keep me here. I keep saying that, but please don't fight to keep me here. But what do you think of when you say, save me? Are you thinking about being transformed into the mind of God? Or in our moments of honesty and selfishness, are you thinking, boy, I don't want to worry about these bills anymore. Wouldn't it be nice if so-and-so didn't have pneumonia anymore? What is it that you are thinking of? Because I want you to have a clear separation between what it means for Christ to save us and begging for the favor of Jesus. Those may seem like the same things, but I think we do a disservice to Scripture when we say certain things are all part of salvation. Let's study our Bibles and see, let's be intentional. Let's ask questions. God is not afraid of your questions. Sometimes I'm afraid to get the answers to questions I'm asking. And many questions I will never get the answer to because it's none of my business. Anyhow, but I would care very much for you to do that at some point today. Ask, what does it mean? Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. If I were screaming that out to Jesus, what am I actually asking? What am I asking? And of course, the natural offshoot after that is thinking about who is Jesus? What should I mean? What do I mean, but what should I mean? And then let's try to transform ourselves after what Scripture is teaching us instead of the other way around. Don't bend Scripture to meet your life. Bend yourself to meet Scripture. It's a way easier battle. Scripture is unchanging, and God is unchanging. And we change, I think, scientifically every seven years. Shape yourself to Scripture. Don't bend Scripture to you. You will break. Anyhow, if you can do so without pain, would you please stand with me? Father God, I thank you for your scriptures. I thank you for your words, Lord. I thank you for the people that are gathered here today. Lord, I pray that you would bless the rest of our service together. Lord, I pray that you would bless the final uh, baptism and membership class. Lord, I pray that you be with us as we go out to our communities during this holiday season. I pray that we would be lights for you, Lord. I pray that we would have a deeper understanding of what it means to be saved by you. I pray that you would give us clear ways to present that option to people, Lord. Again, I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. This brings us to our time of announcements, prayer, and sharing, which will be led by Chad Keeler. And as he's coming up, I'm going to read a letter by...